0: Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse podcast: Explosions and Fire. My name is Brian.
1: My name is Aaron.
0: And this week on our podcast, we're talking about or exploring
1: who we are as people and how that intersects with who we play at the mm. table. That's and that's a great thing that we can riff on. Because we both have our ideas about what we think is going to work and we're going to talk about it. But I think that there's a lot of interchange about how we play these games and how it relates to us as people. Yeah, and I
0: think there's a, there's a deeper place we could go with this in terms of like therapeutic applications. And Aaron, I know you and I have talked about we want to go there someday. Right. But I think at this point, this is just an exploration of, and maybe for with a new player slant, okay, I want to play a role-playing right. game oh my gosh, what do I do next? <laughs> and so to me, there's this interesting dichotomy of it's like, all right, do I do uh, a thinly veiled version of myself mm-hmm. or do I just do something completely against type? Yeah. Those are the extreme poles, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I'm pretty talkative, so maybe I'll just play like a bard or someone who's you know, going to try to you know, seduce the town guard or am I going to go in the exact opposite direction?
1: Yeah. So I think what we should do is let's both pick – well, we think the other person is. But before we get into that, because it's been mentioned a couple times, you've mentioned that you think that I'm similar to a paladin, and I know that we've had people asking, what does that even mean? So what what are you meaning when you say that you think I'm a paladin? Okay, so my experience, and I will
0: say I've never actually played a paladin in a game, but I've played with paladins, mm. and I've had paladins play at my table. Paladins to me are annoying. In the same way- <laughs> So you're saying, I'm annoying. In the same way that you're annoying. And that is that they are beholden to uphold certain laws and virtues okay. at all costs. All right. And so I find that challenging because the typical D&D scenario, right? Like we, we need to get in and stop the wedding right. at all costs. And so then the paladin's going to be like, well, I won't lie. And it's like, come on, bro. Like, let's just lie a little bit. Or why don't you just go into town? And grab a beer and we'll come grab you when this is over. Right. But also I think there's this element of it's a higher calling. Like mm-hmm. there's things that I care about more in life than I care about stopping this wedding. Okay. And actually for those of us who've seen the D&D movie, they do a really good job of showing this. Agreed. He, I he, think he's a really good paladin there. Vank or Zank or something yeah. like that, this fella. It's, but he's exactly annoying in the way that I find paladins <laughs> to be annoying. Because he's like, well, I won't take any treasure that was gotten by ill-gotten means or whatever. It's like, dude, come on, relax a little bit.
1: So let me ask you, what are the redeeming qualities since we're sitting at the same table together and you've been telling everybody that I'm an uh, amazing paladin? So the redeeming qualities, obviously, to me anyway, obviously outweigh
0: the annoying components of it. But paladins are straightforward straight shooters who know exactly who they are and what they want fair enough and so i think that's you like even in our dealings with working on the podcast and you know just infernal schoolhouse in general you have said very paladin like things mm. like if i don't have x percentage ownership in this company i don't want to do it you know what i mean Fair and enough. it's like it's yeah. it's based on this sort of like pie-in-the-sky kind of, like, aspirational (laughs) component. And in my mind, I'm like, I might do it if I have 0.5%. I don't know. (laughs) But you're just, like, putting your foot down. And I think it's the conviction with which you declare these things Mm. that makes me think that
1: you're so paladin-like. Fair enough. And what you just said there at the end about how I have this sort of idea about what I want to be from a percentage standpoint within the company. And you said you'd be okay with 0.5%. I know now you're not a rogue. You're actually a bard. Mm, Interesting. Tell me more. So we have the bard, the performer, the person who shows up. And performance doesn't necessarily mean singing or dancing. It could be anything. It could be art. It could be something else where you come to a place and then you charm people with your natural innate abilities in order to have people have a good time based upon the very same things that you're able to do very easily. Interesting. And, I, you know, I was
0: thinking about it and I was thinking, I think I might be a rogue. But what kept me back from that is I don't find my, my own self and my own life and my own dealings to be particularly nefarious. Right. And I also don't find myself being this sort of like chaotic neutral, like, well, they deserved it. I genuinely, truly, deeply want good <laughs> things for everyone. Right. And so that's the kind of the lens that I work through is I'm just trying to make everyone get along while furthering my agenda. So I, I'll I'll buy that. I think I think I'll take Bard.
1: Now I don't want to just use Bard because I don't think that's fair. I think Bard is the easy one you go to when you find somebody who's very much a bon vivant who gets in well with society. I could easily see you as maybe a sorcerer Or something else where you're in your own element and then people around you are excited about that. Like, actually, you know what? Maybe let's go with a warlock. I don't know. I wouldn't say you're beholden to something else, but you do have a lot of charisma and you are somebody who's out there saying, you know, I totally gel with this audience and I think you should gel with me. Almost like you can sell your own cult. Okay. I would definitely do that. I would definitely (laughs) start a cult and I would definitely wrap the brand. Fair enough. So I like, like, let me segue from there and say that I think that what we're talking about is who are you from your own personal perspective, and then how do you translate that into how you play a game, how you pick a character, how you pick a class.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of new players that I've spoken with who are always sort of desperately asking, what do I do? What's the right thing? And again, that dichotomy that I talked about, I think is a really interesting place to start, which is, would you like to take your own components of your personality and just sort of like push the pedal Mm -hmm. down a little bit harder and play around with that? Or would you like to go in a direction that you have never really been? Yeah. So for me, I like playing, and it's really interesting to me to play... Characters that are completely different and would have completely different Mm -hmm. experiences than I do in my own life. I love playing halflings. I love playing goblins. I love playing characters that may not be accepted or have a harder time navigating the world. And I played in a recent campaign, I played a female who identified as non-binary. And for me, there was almost like a weirdly cathartic component because I didn't know any of that. And so I found myself... Wondering, do I explain who I am and how I identify to the other people at the table or the other players and, you know, the other characters in the world or do I not? But that was literally the first time that
1: I've ever kind of gone there and had those concepts to play with. Yeah, I can see that. And I would kind of piggyback off what you said earlier in that I feel like I'm very mercurial in the sense that I will play, especially as a DM whatever I feel like makes sense or whatever I think is funny. For example, I wouldn't mind playing a human who's half human, half squirrel, who's a druid who lives in the woods and like like howards together acorns. I think it's fantastic, whatever the idea is. Or my idea of the warlock who is the town accountant or exchequer who then follows a unicorn away after signing away their liberties and then shoots rainbows as part of this weird thing and melts people's faces off i think it sounds fantastic interesting so what i'm hearing from you and i've
0: definitely found this is that you lead with humor absolutely i think it's the best part of game character creation you lead with humor yes and and actually at the a couple weeks ago when i was your dm explain the character that you had with great hair
1: Oh well, I had Fabio the coiffed. Yes. And, and so
0: the the best moment for me was it was just <laughs> after combat and you had declared an action. Do you remember what this action was? <laughs> was it about
1: getting my hair brushed? Yes. So I had to put my hair into a man bun in order to get ready for combat. That felt like my putting on a helmet. It was amazing. Because
0: it was almost you declared it as if it was going to be a a combat in action. Yes. Everyone is sort of like thinking really tactically. And you're like, I'm just going to take a moment and put my hair up into a man bun. Yeah. And so this is interesting to me because when I think about what leads me through character creation and gaming, it's more like the opposite. It's like gravitas. Yeah. It's like the immersion. The immersion in the world, and that this could be a parallel place where actual people could be doing actual things. Yeah. And so I recall uh, some of my early games where I was a player, metagaming mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. rampant. So people were quoting Star Wars and quoting Lord of the Rings. And it's just like you're like inside of a meme. And to me, it was annoying. Like it was frustrating because I was the opposite of immersed in the game. Right. I felt like I was living in a pop culture TV show, and it wasn't fun for me. <laughs> and so I remember when I started DMing, I gave a very, very stern direction to my players that we're not going to metagame. Mm-hmm. But I actually think that I took some of the fun or some of the wind out of their sails because I remember when you'd see a little, a little glimmer of recognition, <laughs> and then the poor, poor people would just not say anything or kind mm-hmm. of sulk silently. Yeah, so that's interesting. I hadn't thought
1: about it that way. But humor is not what I lead with. Well, you know, the thing is, I don't mind not doing humor. My issue is that do you have a party that's too self-serious? And I do have serious players. I actually have a warlock who's more of this individual who has shadow blades and has lived in the shadow realm and has done all these horrible things. And that's what you play with and that's what you lead with. But the question is, are you having a fun time with what I'm doing? Or is everybody self-serious? Or do you need a little bit of fun? And I would, I would say one of my favorite things as a DM, and I know I'm kind of a from this one, but I enjoyed the idea of having this super serious game about almost a Norwegian-slash-Viking environment. And then we had this magic item that was called The Wondrous Mug of Chuggalug. And I remember this mug. <laughs> and you used it quite often. And the idea was that you had this mug and you chugged out of it. And then based upon a DM random roll, you had to chug all of it. And you it could be gettios or clams I, think, I remember it was clam chowder one time <laughs> it was clam chowder one yeah. time it could also be a healing potion it could yes. be poison so
0: there, there could be a tactical advantage or disadvantage exactly or it could just be
1: fun <laughs> right and that's what i enjoyed it i i guess i enjoy more of the the fun part of D yeah and so this brings me to an interesting idea
0: i would say especially for new players or even in legacy players who are just thinking of getting into a new game or whatever rolling a new character i think that for me at least, I find my character in the game, not before the game Fair and I yeah. would say this is a this is a pretty common misstep for new right, players right and I I'm sure you've had this, but I have where a new player will come to me with like a four page backstory And so first of all it's overly dark and and sad mm-hmm. and weird but second of all if we're starting at first or second or third level all the things that are described in that would have that person at like level 17 right so it sort of like doesn't even match up <laughs> so if you're starting a new game or you're doing a one-shot and you're under fifth level you can't have murdered the entire x or done it just doesn't work like that like the math doesn't actually connect with the story that you're trying to tell me So I would rather have a little bit of a loosey-goosey idea and then go ahead and find your character. Find your character's voice in the game. And so from that perspective, it doesn't actually matter what you are. Find your warlock or find your wizard or find your bard in the game. But please don't stay home for three weeks and pine over your character because Mm. it's weird
1: and it may not equate. Agreed, yeah. And I think that there's this sort of stereotype around what all these different classes of characters are. Like, sure, we would agree that a, a rogue is this smarmy person who rolls up into a tavern. The and Han does, Solo, if you will. Yeah, exactly. But they may not be. They might just be the person who pickpockets you, and then they walk out of the establishment. They don't have to have any charismatic skills, even if they do. And so you have this sort of buffeted idea of what your character is, where you can either actually role play it or you just roll for it and the role kind of puts that in place where you're like i don't know that i'm really good at role playing but my character is my character is good at pretending so i want to roll to pretend as my character and i think that a good dm will find that balance between both of i know what you want to do but i know what you can do and let's make this happen.
0: Yeah. And then there's, there's that kind of tension between role play versus the numbers. Right? right. So in that that classic example, would be like, all right, I'm going to get up on stage and I'm going to tell some jokes <laughs>
1: right.
0: and I'm going to try to make some tips, you know, so we can, you know, have some money. Yeah. And some DMs may be like, okay, great. Roll a performance check. And other DMs might be like, okay, let me hear your jokes. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> like you're, I know on paper you're charismatic, but like, let right. me hear it. Well, I think that another big part of that is understanding the system that you play within. So, for example, if you had like D&D, if you say, oh, I'm totally a wizard because I, you know, seclude myself from humanity and I read books or this is who I am. Great. I'm totally in agreement with you. This is who you are. This is what you want to play. However, understanding that a caster, especially a wizard, is very intensive to play. And if this is your first time playing, maybe don't start with a caster. Maybe start with something simple and then branch out from there.
0: Yeah, and I think that's just the logistics side of it, right? So if people, you know, in that example, I would just say, listen, if you're going to go skiing for the first time, Right. Maybe not start on the black diamonds. <laughs> right. Let's work there. let's work our way up. And maybe if you really got a knack for it, in a month or two you'll be there. Yeah. But I wouldn't wish a new player to start as a spellcaster. Absolutely not. Because as no. a as a player of a couple, you know, three, four or five years under my belt, I still get pretty stressed. Yeah. And I and I understand the weight of the responsibility that I have to right. the party, especially if i'm the healer quote unquote because i I might actually like we may not actually get through this encounter unless i'm pretty good at understanding where i need to stand and what i need to do
1: in order to keep all of you idiots alive long enough to get through this exactly and that's why i i find myself often as a forever dm if i'm ever invited to be a player i always play a caster because i know what you can take the weight off other people exactly and i think that a lot of people would be amazing casters and do a great job as a wizard or as a sorcerer or as a warlock but they just haven't done their time in the trenches they don't understand the sort of knowledge that's required and it's great i want you to be that but also i want you to know that you have to understand how to be a fighter and stand before you can run as a wizard
0: Yeah, I will say, though, I think there's a certain personality type that Mm can probably do better at that. And I've seen it where it's like, okay, are you particularly studious? And do you have a a pretty solid recall and and memory? And are you interested in the complexities Mm -hmm. of this hobby? If so, I'm going to stand behind you if you want to be a master. Yeah, 100%. Uh, But if you're just like, oh, gosh, golly gee, bring my hands
1: (laughs) Yeah, please don't be a caster. Exactly. <laughs> because
0: you're you're actually just going to get into that sort of mental gridlock mm-hmm. where when it's your turn, you're going to be looking at bricks of text for each spell and
1: it's not going to be fun.
0: Yeah. Because you're going to you're going to feel guilty or incompetent.
1: Yeah, and I feel the same way when I look at things from the DM standpoint of a flow perspective, and then we're talking about how is this combat going, for example. And even fighters have a hard time. Yeah, I stab three times, but how do I stab? Versus somebody who has to say, I have to pick like from thirty spells and I only have so many to choose
0: from. And and not to mention the is it a cantrip? Is it a first level, second level, third level? (laughs)
1: Like that stuff stresses me out. Low grade when I'm not even playing DM And that's why I genuinely enjoy, not just from a standpoint of sadism, but the idea of this joint initiative where you all do the same thing at the same time. Because if you're sitting here as this sort of Queen's Gambit wizard deciding what do I do next when it gets to my turn, and it's like seven turns in, and it's like oh my god can we just go like you've been here this whole time where are you and i think that we there's a lot of this analysis paralysis especially as a wizard or a caster and i was
0: holding i was holding up a prop for my thought not for your thought (laughs)
1: that's fair enough i just i got
0: the shepherd's cane to get off the stage for a second (laughs) i I held up an hourglass and you thought i was trying to tell you to shut up
1: (laughs) I mean, is there another solution? For no, 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 <laughs> so
0: I was only going to add to what you said. You were talking about your group initiative idea where you right. declare your actions ahead of time. For sure. Which I think is great, and it's a great way to mimic the fog of war where I might walk into your arrow. Yeah, right. right? Because I was already gonna move that way, and then you, but you already shot the arrow and I might just walk into it. My idea is just timing. Fair the enough, The amount yeah. of time that each player has to declare their action. Right. So that's why I was holding up this hourglass. I makes sense it's a two-minute timer and so all i'm saying is you know when it's not your turn and there's three people ahead of you i just as the as your dungeon master i just want you to be thinking about what you're going to do and you've got two whole minutes to declare your action (laughs) not even resolve it but just say i am going to cast fireball great now we can look into what does that mean and how do we do it right but i yeah i think for for the flow of the game I think it's really nice. And one of the big responsibilities of the Dungeon Master is to manage combat so that it doesn't get boring and doesn't become a brutal
1: slog. Exactly. And I, I I do want to bring this up because I bring this up often about Monopoly. There's almost no pause in what you're doing on a turn of Monopoly. If you own Baltic and Atlantic Avenues, or is it Baltic, or I don't remember what the other one is. Either way, but you know what you're going to do in your turn. basically. you're a slumlord. Yeah, you know what's in your bank, and then what you want to do, versus somebody who has boardwalk, right? And then there's no, like, let me just take five, ten minutes, think about how I want to do my monopoly turn. No, you know who you are, you know what you have, you know your limitations. And I think a lot of people get lost in that of, well, what would I wish I could do right now, versus what I can do right now. You just brought up a really interesting point,
0: and I think this is cool, and I've never really thought about it this way before. I've never really thought about it this way before, which is there's as much role-play in Monopoly as there is in D&D. Absolutely. And here's why I say that. Think about playing Monopoly, and think about what the trash that we talked to each other before. <laughs> right. And you'll get like your, your 10-year-old niece will be like, you're going down, Uncle Brian, because I'm about to charge you all the rent. <laughs> yes, but right. what they've done is they've taken on a persona. Right. Right. And so it's the same thing. And that's why I think it's so beautiful about role playing games. Don't do what you would do, Aaron. Do what your character would do. Exactly. And I think that kind of brings us back to the original conversation, yeah. which is it doesn't matter and the stakes aren't even that high. Pick a couple of key characteristics <laughs> and different games have different mechanics, but a lot of times they'll just feed them to you. Right. You just pick one. It doesn't actually matter what it is. Part of the fun of Indiana Jones as a character, he hates snakes. Without that key feature, he's not as fun of a character. Exactly. He has this foible here you, that you You need to have up. something that you love. You need to have something that you hate. Right. You need to have something that's motivating you to be on an adventure. That's kind of it. Right. As long as you have those <laughs> things, you're good. So for those folks who are thinking of jumping into role-playing, take the pressure off yourself. Just just follow the basic mechanics of whatever system you're using. Right. Pick a couple of things and then go with it. And Absolutely. then explore and find your character <laughs> in the midst of your journey, not
1: before your journey. Agreed. I think it's always important to find yourself in these games and then find your way of how to play them and have fun doing it. So I would say, Brian, I think that we are at a good stopping point. Is there anything you want to close with on this topic? I think I often play characters that are against my
0: type, as I've mentioned. So I think I'm going to challenge myself. And you'll likely be my dungeon master Mm. when I do this, because you're often my dungeon master. I think I'm going to try to play... I'm going to build a character that's just Brian, but to the power of two or three. Ooh, all and right. maybe you can even help me build that, whoever that would be. But I think that might actually be fun. Because I'm used to going into the dark, unexplored corners, but what uh-huh. if I'm just like, oh, no. The the things that are quasi-annoying about Brian, just wait. This is going to be awful in this game.
1: I think I want to bring all of Brian into the light, and I want your next character to be a paladin and see how you do <laughs> <with> it. <laughs> no, because I'm just going to play you. Fair enough. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening today. We've really enjoyed this session, and we hope to see you next time. Thanks, everybody.